Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk, baby. This week, we're doing another segment of our really popular uh, segment (laughs) called Just Effing Watch It, where we... You know, watch a movie we wouldn't normally choose to, to watch. You know, a movie maybe that's been nagging at us. A movie that we think is important that we see, but that, you know, it's not something we uh, can convince our significant others to watch on a Friday night, for example. <laughs> um, and that film this week is uh, Tarkovsky's Stalker, uh, made in 1979. It's a Soviet-Russian film. Um, and then we're going to uh, actually do a top five that uh, was requested by a friend of mine, um, where we're going to do top five recommendations for movies on Netflix. We know everybody's at home. Uh, they've got a lot more time on their hands in general. Uh, so we w- thought we might suggest some movies for Netflix. And there's there's going to be some points for originality, some points for, um, you know, your criteria and stuff like that. So hopefully we'll get some good lists. Stalker is 163 minutes long. It contains 142 shots, which means the average shot is about 90 seconds, about a minute and a half. Um, and it's paced fairly slowly. So for a movie that's near just short of three hours, um, I, I don't want to say not a lot happens because that sounds a little pejorative, but... Um, there, it's a slow film. Let's just say that. Um, and you know, we talked about a lot about long movies this year, or I'm sorry, last year, with The Irishman being probably the biggest example of that. But there was a lot of movies that were just very, very, very long. And so I think this question is uh, apropos of that, and um, especially of Stalker. But what do you guys think of the tool of time for a director? And I don't necessarily just mean pace. I also mean, I mean, I guess I mean pace, but I also mean, you know, like, I wonder if Tarkovsky went into this movie thinking it was going to be 163 minutes long. I wonder, you know, if people think about time as a resource. I wonder if people think about, I wonder if directors think about, you know, the the patience of their audiences, that, the, the, um, the, uh, you know the, the 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 ability for their their audience to focus on their films for this period of time. Jeremy, you raised your hand. Go, lad. Um, I think, in all honesty, there's some arrogance to directors who don't see time limits as an issue, um, and it doesn't necessarily. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you think about like Kubrick or Anderson uh, or Scorsese making The Irishman. These are all great directors, but you have to have some arrogance to say, 
I don't care how long this movie takes. I'm going to tell the story I want to tell. And if it takes three hours, it takes three hours. If it takes, uh, you know, an hour and a half, great, so be it. But I'm going to tell the story I want to tell. So, um, so is, there's definitely... Is it, is it arrogance, Jeremy, or, or is it, like, confidence? Like, what is, what is the distinction? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, okay. honestly. I think there has to be a little bit of, like, I, I, it's worth it. I'm who I am. It's worth it, it for the audience to sit here for three hours and watch these movies because I'm giving them something great and I think that is a little bit of arrogance to it but good directors have that I wonder what rookie director you know has the longest debut film because right. I bet that guy is quite the egomaniac <laughs> Lee uh, well I think Jeremy is right that there is an arrogance to a director that disregards the running time either going into production during or in post production but I also think that we spend a lot of time asking for some semblance of that from our directors. Uh, this may not be the first, or this may not be the last time, rather, that this movie comes up on this podcast, but I was certainly reminded a lot of Annihilation watching this movie. Yep. Um, Which was uh-huh. obviously very inspired by this film. Of course, and I think that's where we'll spend more time talking, but in terms of your question... Um, not necessarily pertaining to running time, but pertaining to the idea of a director making the film that they want to make. And, you know, an audience may struggle to understand some of the themes, some of the storylines, some of the characters. They they may make a movie that is challenging for its audience, um, which Stalker certainly is, to say the least. But Alex Garland in that case and Tarkovsky in this case probably made the movie they were intending to make. We say the same thing about Malick. We say the same thing about Scorsese. We say the same thing about PTA, Tarantino. Something that all of these directors, maybe Alex Gar- Garland excluded, have in common is that they are very, very talented and well-respected directors. Sure. Because, so maybe there's an arrogance. Maybe you have to have an arrogance to be that, to be at the top of your game. But they are at the top of their game. So... We look for movies like this, even if they're challenging, even if we're looking at a two-hour and 45-minute Russian film with, like you said, a collection of 140 shots that moves very slowly. We're watching a movie that a very well-respected director made exactly how he intended. So I I think it's interesting also with uh, Tarkovsky that... And correct me if I'm wrong, but to my understanding, none of us have seen any of his films, right? No. Correct. Like th- this is the first time we're seeing it, seeing a film of his, his. And he is a very respected director and a director, obviously, we've wanted to catch up on for some time. But knowing it's in a different lang- language and knowing his movies are sort of slow move- moving, we had to just effing watch it to do it. But one of the things that I sort of found myself asking myself while watching this film because he's such a renowned director, is does this movie intrigue me enough to want to watch more of his films? And I've been really wrestling with the answer to that, and I thought about it almost immediately, and I don't... I would say I'm leaning towards yes, but part of me... Okay, go ahead. Well, Well, there's a second second part of that question, though, and maybe you're going to say the same thing, is that... this movie, Stalker, needs to be seen more than once. Maybe. So was there enough for me to want to see this again? Uh, you know wait, what I mean? Like, I think you, that. Before you answer that, I do want to know, 
what do you guys what do you think what is the intention here of of the time of the time i mean let's like for those i, I imagine there's going to be a lot of people who've li- who listen to this this podcast who won't watch docker and if they have they'll know what we're, immediately what we're talking about but um i'm looking here the average film has 1250 shots this one has 142 there's a lot of long takes there's a lot of walking and stopping and talking and poetry and a lot of silence um without a lot of um conspicuous meaning behind it so what i want to know is what do you guys think he was doing with this and we and we know we on our last just effing watch it a director you guys, you mentioned Lee Malik. Is someone else who does this, and I and I don't really know. I mean, at least Malik cuts a lot. I don't. I want to know like what it. What's the intention there? Because it's it makes this film hard to watch. Whether you liked Stalker or not, it's not like watching any other film. Sure, it's it's a really great question. I don't know that I have the answer right off the top of my head. Hopefully, we can come to it uh, throughout our discussion. You know, the first thing that maybe came to mind, and I don't think I'm right, but maybe this will lead us somewhere, is trying to capture something on the lines of the the mundaneness of life and what these huh. characters feel like their life is, so that they so that he can, without ever showing it to us, can create this mythical quote unquote room that can make all your dreams come true. We don't know what these characters' dreams are, that, you know, what the, what, if they could ask for anything to come true. We don't know what those are. They never tell us. We don't see their lives really before this journey. So all we really have is to see them in this long, drawn-out journey where not much happens and seems somewhat mundane to give us an idea that maybe there's something brighter and better on the other side. And that's what they're striving for. That's what they're journeying towards. I'm not sure I'm right. I just feel like that's maybe a thought. I think it, it allows more rumination on their philosophical, the philosophical nature of life, because the whole thing is really them taking stock of, life in general, not even just their own lives. It's more of a general sort of philosophical mm-hmm. um, concept of life. And just to give people who haven't seen it and are may, have made it this far in the podcast, basically <laughs> there's three characters, um, one called the stalker who has been at, in and out of this thing called the zone. And everything is ver- uh, very sort of... Uh, vague. Uh, vague and, yeah... It, it, so the stalker especially, guy, he, especially with the language barrier, I would say too. Yeah, yeah. So the stalker guy, he's been in and out of the zone. The zone's guarded by people with guns, so it's very dangerous to get back and forth. But he's the only one that knows how to do it, and he takes these two gentlemen who have paid him. One's a, a writer, and one's a professor, and we sort of get to know a little bit why they decided to take this dangerous journey into the zone, but the zone, based on what the stalker's saying, we don't see any of this, but the zone has sort of magical powers. They can never just walk in a straight line. They have to sort of zigzag. They have to pause. They have to take the time to try to get to this 
room, which is going to grant uh, grant the wishes to anyone who goes in it. Um, so in all this zigzagging and taking time, that's when they they reflect on their lives and reflect on uh, who they are, what they've done, why they are doing this, like what's the ultimate sort of goal in life like what would i want to say if i entered this room and that the that is the whole movie the movie uh, those conversations and the movie is i want to say the relationship between these three people but all, the relationship is almost inconsequential it's three yeah, it separate matter. things and and i think that's really one thing that this movie's missing and we can get back to that but um to go back to your point of time, Chapin, I think the time getting there is really about Tarkovsky being able to explain to the audience his own philosophical musings on life. And if it had <clears throat> gone too fast, it wouldn't have ruminated enough to give you that sort of sense of, I don't know, dreamlike quality that's there. Now, we can... We can sort of talk about how effective that was um, to go back to my question about would you does this movie make you want to watch more from this filmmaker like was that effective to you guys that rumination and that time to get there to to give you a feeling of of you know the existential dread of life well I I love I love I love the audacity the balls i guess on the negative side the arrogance of pacing like this i think it can be very effective i will just say that for me personally and i think you know i'm not we should think about you know the russian people who saw this you know 40 years ago but for me it made this film very difficult to understand and um, just, you know, again, in the way that we have to sort of watch movies these days. And as much as I don't wish I hadn't done it this way, I had to break up my viewing of this movie a couple over a couple couple different days and came back to it. And, and this film, I have to say, is just stunning visually. Um, Amazing. I mean, I don't know that it's I mean, it is I think it is beautiful in a sense, but but really, it's just it's just striking and compelling. Um, but I just feel like that time that just that running time it just kind of like made everything it just kind of stretched everything out and it made it really hard for me to sort of grasp onto what at least i thought the important things were you know you'd be sitting there you'd be you'd you'd, you'd have a shot for 3 minutes of them kind of a beautiful shot stunning shot of them you know moving through a landscape stopping and talking and i mean Look, there's only so, I mean, we have a limited amount of patience here. There's only so much you can remember. What did they talk about when they were crossing that field for 25 minutes? Uh, and, and, and look, I mean, it could be my own, my own issues in, in, in film watching. You know, maybe I, I need to be, I need to pay a little bit better attention. Um, but I think that like one thing to one negative to to this pacing into the into the ultimate effect which is the running time is that your points the the things you put in there as a director they i mean they compound of course but they also sort of get weaker as you stretch them across that running time if that makes sense well here's i got a lot to kind of 
cover here between stuff that both of you guys said. Um, where I struggled with this movie, and it has a little bit to do with how long everything took, but, you know, in those long sequences of silence, you know, in stillness, you... The, the scene that comes to mind is they're in a cave, sort of. There's mounds of sand around. One yeah, of the like, characters... It's like an abandoned building, yeah. Yeah. One of the characters, um, and I can't remember if it's the professor or the writer, drops a, a stone inside of this, basically this well. The writer, yeah. The writer. And you hear that it takes an, a, an incredibly long time for it to land. And then he sits on the edge of that, starts to wax poetic a little bit, as you know, most of these scenes sort of evolve into that. And... And I was like, "Oh, he's gonna he's gonna drop himself in there. He's gonna he's gonna kill himself." And that isn't what happens. And I'm not spoiling anything here, but that's not what happens. And I found that to be where so, how so many of these scenes in this movie went for me. Every time I felt like, "Okay, I see where maybe they're going here. I think I know what he's gonna say next. I think I know where they're gonna go next. I think I know their motives." I was wrong. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. It's a little bit hard to be sure. But that's where I sort of struggled as I kind of meandered through this movie. But I'm sort of with you, Chapin, in that I like the idea behind drawing a movie out like this and allowing a movie to take its time. I mean, part of that might have been that I found during long stretches of this movie, like I was, I felt like I was under a spell. Like it was mesmerizing, and that's has uh, that's a credit to the filmmaking. Um, that's a credit to the composition of the shots and the cinematography itself. I, I just think that alone maybe allowed me to appreciate how long this movie was and appreciate how long these takes were. And, you know, we've talked about it before. I always love the slow push in and the slow pull out. Yeah. I, I, I can sit and I can appreciate that. <laughs> the slow pull out. <laughs> um Uh. so i can appreciate that and i think you know what i what i think is interesting is that we haven't had any experience with tarkovsky we know his reputation but we're here giving him credit as a great filmmaker because the proof is there you can watch it It, he passes the eye test this this movie is bookended by scenes that look like they're straight out of a movie from the 20s uh, he filmed. It's almost like a, a Wizard of Oz effect where he films the beginning of it in a, a little. I don't bit, know, it's not yeah. black and white. It's but like it's, sepia tone. It's like yeah. sepia, but yeah. like it kind of yellow it, the, with like a very sort of vibrant yellow. Yeah, it, but it looks sharp. Like it, the the images are really are really crisp and and it looks great. But you're watching it. It looks like an incredibly low budget movie, and then it well, cuts to yeah. color. And and you know you you're in the zone and it cuts the color and I that was the moment where I was I realized I was watching a different type of movie and I realized that I was watching a filmmaker that was doing some pretty impressive things. So to tie all this back, I know I've been a little long winded, but to tie all this back, I appreciated this movie from start to finish as long as it was, bit piece by piece. So all those minute and a half scenes, the ones that are even longer, I was really just sort of caught in a spell. So I took it. 
Okay. But yeah. it, every time I tried to figure out what was going on, I was wrong. And that was frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think where this movie works for me is that spell. You are put under a spell, and it becomes a mood piece that really sort of works. And I remember that whole rest of the day I was I was kind of off. I watched this in the morning um, because I thought it was going to take me three days to get through, so I put <laughs> it on. I ended up pretty much watching it straight through other than to feed the baby or something. Um, so I had watched it. I had watched it that morning, and the rest of the day I was kind of just off. I, ha- I, I you know, and I knew that that the movie had affected me in that way. But that also being said, I, I can tell you where, for the most part, this movie just doesn't work for me, and it is that lack of relationship between these three guys. I know they're three strangers, but why have the story if they were just never gonna connect that that relationship? And also, the you sort of touched on it, Lee, the low-budget nature of this becomes a bit of a burden here. Because you're go- when, when you go into the zone, and all the zone is is the change of a, a, a filter on, on the camera, and you're just walking in a field and you see some abandoned buildings as this sort of magical... I don't know, there's just something I could tell, like they didn't have the money to make this make this quite right and and uh, well, see, I, I don't so, know if so you guys this thought is, that way so this is an uh, now you bear with us a little bit this is a, an, an extremely low budget movie i think so the budget based on imdb is is 6 million russian ruples now this is 1979 like $12. well so this is 1979 if you do the conversion it it, it bases it on today's currency, but that's $80,000 U.S. dollars, wow. which is an incredibly low-budget movie. Now, who, I don't know 40 years ago what the conversion rate was. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't flipped completely, but either way, it's, it's difficult to know exactly, but a very, very low-budget movie. But, Jeremy, like, I disagree. Like, when I was watching the first part of this movie, of course, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a, like a micro-budget movie, and you can tell by looking at it. But then, yes, he just so, change, changes the filter. But the set design, the like, so much of this movie looked yeah, beyond no, its budget. It was really the impressive. The set design was quite amazing. I just, I don't know. There's just something about those sets I wanted cost something eighty thousand dollars now. I uh, wanted something more uh, in the zone. I wanted the zone to impress me as a zone. According sure. to conversion rates it was about 1.5 million dollars okay so re- so much more than 80,000 yes um still yeah, a, a but, very low budget look i mean despite what you say that's still pretty low budget but still like they just filmed in these incredible locations that i'm sure were set, set decorated to some point but they that decoration was done so well mm-hmm. that it looked Which like was done by tarkovsky too tarkovsky yeah it looked like they went to these I, what I what I know from research, you know, these like abandoned industrial sites in Estonia, and actually, there's the, there's a theory that the filming this movie, in fact, killed Tarkovsky and the lead actor and his wife. They all died of the same cancer, from what they believe is a was filming in a chemical plant for this movie. Jesus. Um, but they all died of the very this very sort of specific um, lung cancer. He, the guy who played the writer, and his wife, who was the assistant director, um, but but they just, I don't know, they just made these incredibly, 
visually striking things, but I, I know what you mean, Jeremy. Like they're like you know you get this feeling that you know they talk about the zone and this and everything that's happening in it, and the stalker talks about all these all this adverse adversity. We never really see any of that. No, like there's never anything that like yeah. gets in the way of that, and you never well, see it actually being for lack of a better word, magical. Like, he yeah. talks about you can't move a certain way, or and the guy couldn't go back for his backpack, but he got it any... Like, there, you never see those moments. There's two moments. He, he walks too close to an abandoned building, hears, hears something, and then a phone rings. But then even the phone ringing starts to make me think, that's just... There's electricity there. Okay, but... I, isn't this on purpose? I mean, aren't we supposed to suspect that the stalker is full of shit? I mean, they even... They even have a scene... Where, I think so. They kind of blow up on it, and I spent most of the movie thinking the stalker was full of shit. It was one of the things that maybe. But then why you know, is the uh, area all guarded by the military? And I don't, I don't know f- for sure that it is. I mean, we're talking about Soviet Russia. Wasn't the military just everywhere? It didn't let you leave your house. Well, I mean, they, they, mm. they were definitely. They had to sneak through those gates. Right now, look again. So. Back to what I said before, every time I had a theory or I thought I knew where this movie was going, it turned out I was wrong. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of there's a lot of ideas that I came up with throughout, but I do think that you're supposed to suspect at times that the stalker is full of shit and that there isn't this the, the zone doesn't change, that there is no mythical room that can grant you. They they have this this character that they reference named Porcupine, uh, that the stalker uh, basically said, I, I guess was uh, sort of his mentor, I guess, his stalker mentor. He he did this job before he did. He took people into the zone. He told him about the room. Right. So that's how he knows how to navigate it. But it's presented to us very much in a way like he's telling a, a, a fairy tale, like he's making it up as he's going along. So I think there's that, that idea exists throughout the, the movie. Um... Jeremy, I disagree about the relationships, though. I actually sort of liked the absence of their relationship. I think well, the I mystery think the of the three characters and is on purpose. Yeah, but beyond that, I think you yes, you spend a lot of time with these these three characters, and you'd think over the course of this journey there would some connection would form. We'd find some you know connective tissue between the three of them. And we don't really. And I think I liked that. And I'm not sure I can pinpoint why. I think it just spoke a little bit to the isolation of these characters, to the idea that they're trying to find something better. And I feel like that worked in the tone of the movie. You know, now, structurally in the screenplay, you know, this this movie to me is more structured plot-wise, has more plot than a Malick movie, but it, it falls in the same category where... It meanders, and it's it's challenging to find what direction it's really trying to take you. So, what, what again, part of like what part of any of the, and I have an answer to this, but like what part of any of their characters' struggles did you guys connect with, or sort of have a bit of a, a um, not an aha moment with, but sort of a relationship with? Was any of that? Did any of it work for you? Did you connect with any of those struggles that any of them were having? Or was it all sort of just a distance that you're watching other people at? There is that. The writer's confession that, you know, he feels like he's just going to be forgotten, that he doesn't matter, I felt like was a bit moving. 
Or that I he hates think, what he does. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I do think the language barrier may have caused a bit of a problem there, mm-hmm. too. Um, Definitely. You know, look, like, it's not just reading subtitles. It's the inflection, the you know, th- certain things that you don't understand how they're portraying a line. Um, and it doesn't necessarily matter how many times you watch it. You might not ever really be able to grasp that. And that's unfortunate. But I think that might have gotten in the way a little bit of understanding these characters more. Yeah, for me, it was the stalker sort of revelation at the end of why he needs to do that and how it gives him purpose. Sure. Um, but, yeah, it was hard, it was hard to so, find that connecting tissue with these characters. So not only did they not connect to each other, really, it was hard for me as an audience member to to find it. So did he take his family into the zone is that what happens at the end i would love to talk about the end because i have no idea but let's get to that in a bit okay um i do want to get an answer to my question uh about tarkovsky and if this intrigues you to watch more it does it does i (sighs) i uh (laughs) i mean this movie is frustrating and confounding but there's something there's something there right for Tape, sure. And just because his, just because the next movie we'd watch, which would probably be Solaris, just because that takes place in space, doesn't mean it's going to be any easier for you. Well, I do want to see that, but <laughs> but I, I am kind of intrigued by uh, his next movie, The Sacrifice, uh, which is about a guy on, which is about the world on the brink of World War Three. Sounds kind of cool. Um, but the thing is, like, all if you just read the plot synopsis of his movies, they all yeah. sound intriguing. <laughs> and you know it's just going to be like this. Okay. So. Well, okay. Is, what is this movie about? Somebody tell me. I, I demand to know. Or what was your question, Jeremy? That was my question. That I was. Think. Okay. Yeah. It does, it, it, does, it does intrigue me. I mean, I, let's see. How long is this? <laughs> it's, it's, it's shorter. Um, what is it? The Sacrifice? Yeah. Well, I, it intrigues me in that I definitely felt something for this movie. I can't, I can't put it into words. It is that sort of spell Lee was talking about. It put me under it. I, I felt I was thinking about it. I was ruminating on this movie. Um, did I like it? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I Do you didn't, have a thought on what it's about? Well, I, I like an overall arching what it was about. Sure. Um, I think it more than just the purpose of 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 life like getting worth out of life that's sort of what i i took it as like what like why are we you know why go through the the pain and the sorrow that they're clearly going through that that uh obviously it's it's a it's a tough life there um like wh- why do it what do you get out of it i mean they talk about art and the importance of art and um you know, even the writer, as we alluded to, he he, he finds himself, you know, <laughs> saying he hates what he does, but it, you know, finds the importance right. of it. So I, I think it really is about, um, you know, what what the purpose of life is, really, and your and your place in the world. I think yeah. is, and and you can understand that coming from, you know, Soviet era Russia yeah. too. Well, that's like, what I was gonna say. It is that. I'm really interested in. So, as a side note, there is a, there is another theory that Tarkovsky, his death was um, bec- was 
uh, KGB effort <laughs> because a lot of his movies are seemingly or evidently anti-Soviet. Um, and I think he lived, he died in Italy, I believe, um, and had to leave, or he died in France, excuse me. And so he was sort of, he left Russia. And I, I'm just sort of fascinated by um, somewhat through watching Chernobyl last year, but also through a, a book I was reading about the Russian and American space race to the moon um, about the sort of Russian identity. Uh, one of the movies actually I'm going to recommend possibly in my top five uh, has to do with this a little bit. Um, but this is this idea that I think Russians have a completely different outlook philosophically on the world than Americans do. And, and to see how that kind of uh, focuses in into film, which is something, you know, we have such a, you know, strong grasp of American film and the way philosophy, you know, comes out in in film. And I'm sort of fascinated to see how such a different outlook on life affects the the making of these other movies. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. I think it's a Russian sensibility. And I think that goes back to my point of the uh, relationship between those three characters isn't important in a Russian sensibility. And the idea of finding meaning in life, which is, is a universal idea, obviously, but the way that they've, they struggle with it seems very specific to, uh, at the time, Soviet sensibility. Uh, as comparison to, if it was Americans, like, what would this movie be if it was three Americans doing it? Well, I think they, you know, would probably be black. I think they'd be approaching that you know, being black in America or being a you know an immigrant in America, I think is really well. And they would the have a relationship well, between each other. Do you mean the stalker and his family would be? Because oh, well, the other two term, are I'm just in terms of, of like how would you place this in America? You know, like I think you would need characters that were looking that were looking or were justified in looking for some kind of a change and that you know because that's what you have with these characters and but the other two the the the, the scientists and the, and the author are from a, of a different class than the stalker like he he yes he brings he calls them the intelligentsia at the end of, at the end of the movie and kind of criticizes their lack of faith i don't know mm-hmm. well I watched I wanna, that like 20, 20 minutes ago, so I know I know it. I, I haven't remember it well. I haven't answered your question yet, Jeremy. In terms of does this make me want to watch more Tarkovsky? I mean, yes, it does make me want to watch it. But I mean, the better question might be, will I? Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I really don't know. I mean, I like it. It does. It takes a serious commitment. I mean, we've we've talked recently about making sure that we're we're emphasizing these movies to our audience in terms of, and just in a recom, you know, a capacity of recommending them. And this is a very difficult movie to recommend to most people. I think that if you are someone that is interested in studying movies and the history of movies, and if you want to see where a lot of filmmakers have uh, garnered influence then I think this is a good watch. This is an important movie to watch. This is not a movie that you're going to sit down and be thrilled watching. It's a, it's, it's a study. It's, it's like reading a textbook. 
to a certain extent. You're you're studying film, you're studying filmmakers, you're exploring themes in a very, very challenging way with this movie. And I love that about movies. I don't necessarily love watching those movies, but like I answered your question last week, like finding movies like this that you have to pay attention to to be able to enjoy is part of what interests me in, in film. So yeah, I'm really glad we watched this movie Solaris is not moving up to the top of my Netflix queue. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's going to stay where it's at at like 498, but <laughs> um yeah, but yeah, um, I mean, look, it's it's a fascinating movie. I'm glad that we did it and I think just effing watch it. I think it, this is the ultimate just effing watch it. And I I said that to you guys before. Yeah, and I want to I just want to bring up one more point that I didn't get to that was literally my first note I had on this after I finished and I, I wrote down that I'd rather read this story than watch it. You can. It's based on a book. Yeah, it's based on a book called Picnic, and I think, right? Is that what it's called? Picnic? No, it's called... Uh, it's called uh, Roadside Picnic. That was close. And weirdly, as, as, as beautiful as the cinematography is, I, I think this isn't best told uh, But Now, are you saying that because... Okay, because... When you're when you watch this movie, if you leave with, if you left with being satisfied, you left because you made up your own in your own mind what the what the film was about. You had to take away some meaning from it. But I don't know how a book version. Would, I mean, I think would the you book hope, version would you more for more detail in the book or more yeah more detail sort of more, concrete explanation more detail. I think I would. I think I would ingest the conversation and the dialogue better in a book. And I think that that partly has to do with, you know, being a foreign film. But I think reading it may uh, put put me into that, that state of mind a little bit better. And I think also, you know, the zone becomes much more um, magical in my head, I think. Than it than it is on film because right. of and I think that's a budget issue. It's and it's, those, again, as beautiful yeah. as it is and as great as the art directing is and what they had, I think that that hurt it for me a little bit. So it's it's interesting. I, I remember I think I've quoted this a couple of times and we've talked about it before. But I took this film class which I absolutely loved. It was well, I mean it's technically a philosophy class, um, philosophy and film the year before I went to Emerson at this other mm-hmm. school I went to. And I, it was a really great class. I mean, and I was sort of surprised one of my favorite classes I took all for all my four years of college. And the first thing the guy said, I remember that like it was yesterday was like, you know, films are about asking questions, not about answers, or at least maybe that second part I put into my, I made up myself, but mm-hmm. films are about asking questions. And, um, he, the first filmmaker we watched, which stands out the most to me because I had never seen anything by him, but was Bergman. This guy loved the teacher loved Bergman. Watched a lot of Igmar Bergman movies, and Bergman is it was a huge um, influence on Tarkovsky and kind of vice versa. Like, uh, um, and but I will say that like I I do find. I do find that very frustrating. Like, I, I, I enjoyed this film. I, I liked watching it, but I, I, I do find myself struggling with wanting to know what 
he's trying to say with all this stuff, and it's very hard to. But do you think, and that well, this is what I was saying before, is like, do you think if you watch this again once or twice, you'll start you'll start to get that? Maybe. I mean, but do you? But will you do that? Like that's what I'm. Like that was why I was trying to add on to Jeremy's question about does this make you want to watch other Tarkovsky movies? Like, did this make? Because we talked about this with Annihilation. And again, I'll bring that right. movie up. Like, Go to the that film movie... festival and be like, you know what? You just got to see it again <laughs> exactly. to really get the meaning. And you're like, well, let's right. just roll it again, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I know you didn't like it, but just just watch it again. You'll get it. Like a movie that clearly has so much to say that you can't get it in the first viewing. But then the movie has to be good enough to make you want to watch it again. Right. And maybe this movie's good enough, but it, it's also it's just a tough watch. So will you watch it again? I mean, that's that to me is just that's the like I think. If I saw this movie five times, I think I would. I think I would really, really like it because I think you would uncover more. I think the language barrier, while you still might not get everything, would become a, things would become a little bit clearer. You'd start to develop your own theories, which movies like this aren't. They, they don't have one answer. You know, there's a lot of theories. There's, and that's the point I think. And so I think seeing this movie over and over again could be really beneficial, but. It's nearly three hours long. It's in Russian. It's slow. It's, you know, it's just a, that's a tough ask. So I don't know that I will do that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's a frustrating, um, it's a frustrating point of debate. It's like, I think we've all done this before, or at least we were, we, we tried when we made things in the past, but like, you don't, you don't want, you know, we don't like movies that just come out flatly and say, what they're about that those aren't those movies aren't interesting but like you know when i as i was saying about us last year you know like i don't know how much metaphor i can take in a movie and i and i'm not sure i you know i i i, I this probably makes me sound like a philistine but like i'm not a big poetry i'm not a big fan of poetry and i'm definitely not a fan of reading poetry in a movie <laughs> um, and so like but but beyond those scenes this movie is poetic in the sense that it's it's not it's the opposite of prosaic it's not just writing to you saying this is what this movie is about you're supposed to see it but that doesn't mean this film is super is completely successful from that point of view you know right and, right and i and i understand like this this kind of this debate this tension is what what make it, watching movies is all about and hopefully what this podcast is about to some extent but i don't know i i would uh uh, maybe there's uh, what I'll what I'll what I'm willing to commit to here is that I'm willing to go and look at some of his other movies and see if I can you know get anything out of those and then maybe I'll come back to Stalker. Sure. Well, I th- I think it's interesting too that this movie has given us s- such debate uh, uh, on this podcast, you know, or or reckoning with this movie on this podcast for uh, a film that we're all not entirely sure what we thought of it. And I think it makes for, I mean, that says something about the movie, that we could have this conversation and that we yeah. can sort of, uh, you know, tiptoe through the minefield um, as we're doing and, and, and try to figure it out together. And I think that that's, you know, a mark of something in this movie. Yeah, it's great to have a movie that elicits a discussion for sure, yeah. I, I will say I do love that, this movie was made for you know a million and a half dollars, a million rubles, whatever it was, with with people. At least I've never heard of, 
1979 in a in a completely different culture environment you know government and it still survives today it's like this little time capsule and yep. it's still appealing to people people are still talking about it and, and it's way that. better than annihilation <laughs> yeah but that's but annihilation is proof of how influential this movie is i mean alex garland had to have taken cues from this oh for sure and not the original work as we know (laughs) yeah so i text you guys that if you are an amazon prime member which most of the world is uh you have free access for the next two weeks to several films that we're going to premiere at the south by south the the canceled south by southwest film festival a lot of shorts um ranging from anywhere between four minutes and probably 15 minutes. I've already watched two of the four-minute ones. Um, Some feature films, some pilot episodes of some shows. Um, We've talked about watching a bunch of them and doing uh, a podcast uh, just on on all those those films. Um, But we definitely encourage people to watch them. I mean, I watched two shorts. Neither neither were disappointing. One I really liked. They were four minutes long. So at the very least, you can can bang out a bunch of those. but look, like the the film festival movies are are sometimes so uh, like lost because they either find it find a, distri- a distribution platform or they don't. Um, and this is great because there is a temporary distribution platform for a lot of them. So there's some opportunity to see some maybe some really great movies that normally nobody would see and even if we manage to find them or critics manage to find them and they get to the fixie awards it's hard for anybody to to see them so um again amazon prime from today until may 6th you have free access to a bunch of movies shorts and feature length um that you can watch and i think everybody should do it and then we're gonna have our south by southwest podcast yep 78, I came to Europe to compete for the first time. It was pure driving. It was real racing. And that, that makes me happy. among the all-time greats. How do you feel about being world champion? It's not a bad feeling at all, is it? Ayrton has a small problem. He thinks that he can't kill himself. And I think that's very dangerous. We are competing to win. And if you no longer go for a gap, you're no longer a racing driver. So, this week for our top five, we're going back to our traditional top five. And the reason we're doing that is because people are quarantined and they need things to watch. And I would wager more people are subscribers of Netflix than they are of Amazon Prime. So, even more people have access to these movies. Um, And I told the boys that, like any top five, we especially get points for not originality, but having unique top fives because we want to recommend 15 movies here 
So having you we've know, always dupl- sort of unofficially done that off air, like right. competed with each other, but it never makes it into the podcast. Right. Right. So no repeats allowed, right? Well, I mean, let's try to avoid it. But like you know, Goodfellas. I mean, I've got, is, I've got Goodfellas plenty of is on. Um, is on thing and you know we'd all recommend that so we i'm sure we try to avoid that but i don't i don't want to speak for you guys um did we all avoid the i mean social network good fellas like yeah well, i can was, say, i can say like so what i did for my top five is none of these movies would make a like other top five list oh interesting okay well, so you- i mean I mean, basically, I can't put, like, things I'm going to, like, the, you know, The Matrix or, or Shawshank or There Will Be Blood on this list because those, those have all been making the rounds of our top fives for years. Right. Well, for me, it was probably most people that this is going to be a recommendation. Most people probably haven't seen is really where I was coming from. Okay. Um, yes. I, I, I kind of went the opposite way. I just went for, like, a good time. I know, okay. you know, like I went for the opposite of stalker. <laughs> yeah. um, I want people to really enjoy these picks. And there are a couple like you should see these, but I think they're fun and easy watches. So, um, Lee, why don't you kick us off with any t- criteria and your top five? Um, okay. So, like I said, I, I was looking for movies that you probably haven't seen, movies that I have seen that are streaming on Netflix that I really would recommend. I didn't necessarily take into consideration you know, good watches, fun watches, anything like that. I did try to vary them up so it's not a bunch of difficult movies to watch. Um, But my number five is a movie that I believe we have discussed only once ever on this podcast, and it was on last year's 2000, the Fixies for the 2018 movies. Um, And it's a movie called 22 July. Okay, um, we did talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, a movie, is. I don't actually, think I've ever seen a movie actually made by Netflix. Yeah, so it's a yeah. Netflix original film directed by Paul Greengrass. Um, it received a Fixie nomination. Anders Danielson Lee received a Fixie nomination for playing um, Anders Baring Brevik. Um, now, if you remember or are familiar with this situation, it's a it's a story of a terrorist attack. Um, in Norway, their worst terrorist attack, um, where I don't, over 70 people were killed by a, a lone assassin. Uh, he bombed a police station to basically bring all of the police and um, rescue workers to that site. And then he went to an island where there was a, a, a political, politically based youth camp. And he started shooting everybody there and assassinated a lot of people. And that takes place at the beginning of the movie. A lot of it has to do with the aftermath and some of the survivors and the trial of, of Brevik. Now, look, if I'm, as I'm describing this, I'm sure that you're like, I don't need to watch this. I started it and I, and I got through the shooting and then it's, it's just, I mean, look, like, I, I don't know. It's, I, I find these, these case studies to be really fascinating. I think we're always looking for, you know, a a look inside the mind of the people that commit these crimes. If for no other reason to, to give us some, either some closure or some understanding of why, why these things happen. And, and Greengrass takes a, takes a stab at that. And I think he does a really good job. And I totally understand if, if you're not interested in watching a movie like this, when we're all sort of stressed out and, and anxious about other things going around in the world, but like, 
you know, this this is a really well-made movie. Paul Greengrass, <laughs> whether he likes it or not, has a knack at portraying these really horrible things that happen in the world in a cinematic way. And so, Lee, I think I this is a worth, wa- worthwhile watch, yes. Um, we complained a little bit, you and I, about... Not complained, but we mentioned that, you know... Captain Phillips doesn't really take a point of view. We also mentioned, I also feel that, that a little bit about United 93, like it's sort of, an, it's, it's an incredible movie, but there's not much of a point of view. Is there a point of view in 22 July? So the movie, yeah, the, the movie, f- there is, there, there is, and it's actually, well, there's dual points of view. They, he, he makes a very concerted effort to make sure that you hear from Brevik that you hear his side of the story, that you hear why he's doing these things. But the story mostly focuses on um, a character named uh, Viljar Hansen, and he was shot on the island, um, suffered suffered a uh, an injury to his brain. Uh, the bullet was lodged in his head in a spot where it couldn't be removed. So basically he now goes through life that, a wrong move, a bump on the head would, could instantly kill him. And it, it, reminding you, this is all based on true true facts. But a lot of the story is based on him and how he deals with the aftermath and how he wants to approach the trial of Brevik and does he want to testify. And I think the stance that this movie takes is less about terrorism and what's good and what's bad, far far right, far left, whatever you know, side you may stand on. Like, I think it takes a little bit of an approach at like the trauma that people go through. Like you would think this guy got shot. He saw his friends get shot. He saw a lot of people die. He would go on the stand and testify against this person. But there's the, you know, the obstacle of standing in front of this man. There's the obstacle of reliving the scenario. So I think the movie, the themes try to go in that direction a little bit which is Mm. is nice um so it's not so much about taking a taking a point of view you know united 93 i don't you know i think the idea there is did it need to take a point of view i mean we knew sure what happened like it just was trying to portray it in a in a in a certain way here i think it's trying to tell a different type of story okay jeremy what's your number five i think we just ran out of time (laughs) yeah it did take a long time but i'm glad we did um all right so my number five is a movie i was actually surprised by when i saw it that i enjoyed it so much i was like i I just can't imagine this is going to be good it it is the 2016 film hell or high water Mm. um with ben foster chris pine Jeff Bridges in a cowboy hat. Shocking. Surprise, surprise. Um, it's it's. I like that movie. I don't. I think it's overhyped. It's the best picture I, nominee. Yeah. Was it? Be. Yeah. But that's yeah, a, I mean, It was also a bad year. Maybe not. But I I I, I, I was engaged by it. I thought Me too. I, like Me too. the relationships I were nice, and I thought it you know had. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know what else to say. It's good. It's That's worth. Great. It's worth. It's worth checking out. Same writer as Sicario. Yep. And and Taylor, uh, director of Sicario: Day of the Soldado. <laughs> is it not the same director? He didn't. He direct. Oh no, no, he wrote Soldado too, right? Um, who directed Day of the Soldado? We. I remember we felt bad for him. <laughs> yeah. Because he um, wasn't Denny Villeneuve. So my number five is a documentary 
called Icarus, also made by Netflix. And this is about the, I think, the doping scandal in biking. Oh, um, that's a great. Yeah, I forgot about that one. And this is it. the great. movie that shed some light on the Russian identity for me because a, a big. So the film kind of starts off, and it's. I like. I'm not always a fan of this, but I like in documentaries when the circumstances of the of what the film of what happens in the film sort of shape the narrative of the documentary. Um, and this guy, the, the 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 director, the filmmaker, you know, starts off like taking. Um, performance enhancing drugs but then you get he he's working with the the only person he can find to help him do it is this russian scientist who worked for the you know the 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 russian athletes and on that scandal and it just becomes more about that doctor um just because of what happens to him i won't give too much away yeah Um, it's amazing where it goes from where it starts yeah it's really fascinating and i'm really interested in that stuff i watched another documentary like about lance armstrong that i loved um, I don't know. I don't know why that stuff interests me so much, but I think it's a really great. It's a it's a great film. Yeah, I mean, it, every once in a while you get a documentary like that, which starts somewhere. Like he was just trying to document how these performance enhancing drugs helped him as an athlete, as a, a right. bicyclist, and it went somewhere. It, it starts myopic and then goes huge, yeah. and that's sort of what's really interesting. And there's. There have been a few documentaries like that. Another that one Russian I can think doctor of. Doctor is such a character. Yeah, and then the, yeah. I haven't seen it, but isn't isn't that um, Dear Zachary kind of a example of that as well? Yeah, Dear Zachary, and also um, uh, Queen of Versailles or something like that. Mm. Cra- Crazy Love is a documentary that I've always championed. That that goes that way. It's not so much that it starts small. It's more that like. You're like, why are they making a documentary about this? And then halfway through the movie, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. All right I'm, Lee. I'm up. All right. My my number four. Um, so, again, sorry to do this, guys, but it's another Fixie nominee, uh, multiple Fixie nominees from 2018. But I do feel like this movie has gotten a little bit forgotten, and I, I'd love to bring it back up, and it's burning. Um from 2018 right from right. south korea the korean film yeah yeah um so this is this is again unlike what chapin's list may entail it's a movie that you have to commit two and a half hours to a foreign film um it's the same cinematographer as um parasite um he was nominated for fixies two years in a row for that but this is a great movie i mean this was so captivating for me i mean it was this it was the tail end of fixie season we uh, of uh, in 2000 2018 we were we were trying to get as many movies watched as we could and this this was one of those that i just saw some good reviews and i said okay i'm gonna watch it and i just could not shut it off um i would hope that everybody would have a, a similar experience it's a gorgeously shot movie um the acting is really good. The story is interesting. It, it has twists and turns, and you, you can really connect with the characters. Um, so, unlike a lot of what we talked about with with Stalker, it's a it's to me it felt like a, a, a quick moving two and a half hours. It's definitely a, a movie I'd recommend. Great, Jeremy. I mean that. Yeah, I agree. That was such a fascinating movie. Jeremy, go ahead. Uh, so my number four is a fun pick. It is one that I enjoyed as uh, a kid and also probably more than anything enjoyed playing the video game. It is Goldeneye, the Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> James Bond 
movie. Um, my look, probably it's is cheesy my favorite Bond. Bond. It's probably my favorite Bond movie. Though. Oh come it, on! It's, it's cheesy so, Bond, but it. it's good. It's Bond. It was always meant to be cheesy before the Daniel Craig Bond, which I like. But I think they're a different tone than what the original, um, you know, books and movies uh, tried to get at. And, and Goldeneye is just, it's just a fun, it's just a fun film. Cool. Um, okay, I'm trying to decide which I want my number four to be. Uh, okay. Um, so, my number four is Philadelphia, which Thought is a film I've one. talked about a lot. Um, it was really had a profound effect on me when I was younger, and I recently rewatched it because it was on Netflix. I did too, yeah. And um, it's not quite as... <laughs> as groundbreaking as I remember it being when I was nine years old, but it's been a while since then. But I just think, uh, and I think, I think the, the script is, the script is fine. It's just, it's just not fantastic, but the directing is just incredible. Um, Jonathan Demme is just, and the acting. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, Jonathan Demme does things in this movie that you just wouldn't think of for a drama like this. And, uh, Denzel, I think that I, th- I really think that Denzel Washington is the, the standout performance. Tom Hanks is great, but I I really think mm-hmm. uh, Denzel Washington is uh, the the I brilliant mean, he's a one here. Brilliant actor, yeah. And um, it just it really changed my life when I saw it when I was nine years old. And so I would encourage you guys all to to check it out. I think it's a profound film. And it's hor- it's horrible, but it's just still so relevant to like it just. It, I think that's a movie that unfortunately stands the test of time. Um, and its themes too, which is, you know, makes it, a, makes for a good movie. Um, all right. My number three is for fans of free solo. It's a movie called documentary called the Dawn wall. Oh yeah. That yeah. was great. Um, I gotta see pick. that. So, so this is, um, very similar in many regards to, uh, free solo. It is, um, based on, Rock climbers at El Capitan, the same, the same now, mountain. It, when you say based on, it's not a, it's a documentary, but uh, I mean, it, well, when I say based well, on, it's the it's, main guy is in. Yeah. Um, so the so so um, Tommy Caldwell is a friend of. Sorry, help me out. Free Solo. Um, the, Alex. Alex Honnold. Alex yeah. Alex Honnold. Um, and you and he is appears in in Free Solo, but this is this movie is about him. Um, basically it ends up being about him and another climber who attempt to climb the Dawn wall, which is another route up El Capitan, not the same route that, uh, Alex Honnold free solos. Um, they do it with ropes, but I guess Whoops. the, un- the unwritten rule in rock climbing is that if you fall, you have to go back to that, to the beginning of that leg of the climb and start again. Well, yeah. And, where, where else are you going to go down? <laughs> well, you could just use the rope. You could just, you know, y- your rope is attached. So you're climbing with two people. So your rope okay. is attached further ahead. So anyway, anyway, long story short, the, a, a lot of the movie takes place on, on that climb, but it begins with an amazing story of, uh, him and his, uh, fiance wife. or wife at the time, climbing in Russia in like Kyrgyzstan and they get hel- and they get uh, taken hostage and the only way that they're able to escape is to kill the guys that took took them hostage 
Wow. It's a far more fascinating uh, story. It is than Free Solo. And it's wait, I think, this movie, I think this movie is called Cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's the that's the fictionalized version of, of this. So it's it, it Tommy just, Caldwell. They, re, they remade Cliffhanger <laughs> as a documentary. So it's Tommy Caldwell, Sylvester Stallone, and John Lithgow. <laughs> Um, no, it's a really great documentary. I, I think it's really interesting, and you know, it's, it came out in 2017, um, and it's it's right in the same vein of Free Solo. So that, of course, got all the attention and the and the Oscar. But if you liked Free Solo, you should certainly check this out on Netflix. Jeremy. All right, so that's a great pick. Um, my number three, I had to put on this list because it is historic when it comes to my experience with Netflix. This was the first DVD I ever got in the mail when oh I first God. got Netflix. And you were Netflix. like, if I just waited, I could stream it. The Seventh yeah. Seal. Before, <laughs> before um, they had streaming, long before they had streaming, before I went off to college, it was the first one that uh, showed up in that red envelope. Um, and it was right when I was going through my Edward Norton phase, and it's still on Netflix. It is Rounders. Yeah, I love. Uh, I did. I watched it on Netflix a month ago. Yeah, Matt it's, Damon, it's like Edward movie. Norton. Yeah, poker player John Malkovich, the best Russian <laughs> wow. access yeah. of Speaking all. Of that's, see, that's Speaking what got me into Russian. the KGB. Yeah. That's that movie is yeah. what got me thinking about. It. I think that part was just a documentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. If you haven't seen it, it's a fun movie. Check it out. My number three. Um, we talked about this filmmaker a little bit in 2018. Um, and I said I didn't think that movie we talked about of his was a great example of his work, and I think this is a fantastic example of his work, and that is Spike Lee's Malcolm X, featuring an, an incendiary performance by Mr. Inc- incendiary. <laughs> incendiary. Hey, man, I'm incendiary, too. <laughs> yeah, why did I think of that? Um Again, th- th- this one will bust your budget running time-wise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three hours and 20-some minutes. But, man, this movie, I-, I just remember seeing it being blown away. And it's got, like, t- touches of Goodfellas in there. Um, I don't know. I think the, the-, the-, the- right now, I think mean, Netflix does a great job of, like, changing out posters of, of the movies to, like, lure you into looking at them again so you don't get tired of the posters but right now it's it's uh spike lee and and uh and denzel washington in their kind of like brightly colored when they're swinging their arms yeah Yeah. it looks so cool and so i don't know i love that movie and uh i hope everybody can find four hours to check it out (laughs) that would that would have to be a rewatch for me it's been a long time i think i saw that originally on two vhs tapes yep i would i would i would bet that was the same way i saw it um, all right, my number two is a movie called Lock. It stars Tom Hardy. Have you guys seen yeah, this? He's really? in a car the that? whole time, right? Yeah. Um, so he, this movie takes place entirely uh, in, in almost, basically almost a real-time hour-and-a-half drive um, with Tom Hardy on the phone. Um, I'm not going to reveal anything about the plot. I think it's more interesting to just kind of watch it unfold. Um, directed by Stephen Knight, who coincidentally directed the worst movie of 2019 and Serenity. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, 
You know, what's interesting about Tom Hardy is that he's got a handful of these sort of smaller character-driven movies that um, tend to get really well-received. I mean, The Drop was another movie that I saw with him that was really good. Um, and is that the of one course, with James Gandolfini? The uh, is James Gandolfini in it? Numi Rapace is in it. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and James Gandolfini. So that's from 2014. Um, uh, Olivia uh, Coleman is still featured alive. in this. So, the voice of Fixie winner Olivia Coleman um, is uh, is in this movie, and um, now I can't remember his name, but everybody seems to love him. British actor that plays Moriarty. Andrew in the, Scott. Andrew Scott plays Moriarty in the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch. And he's um, in Fleabag. And Fleabag, yep. So um, Tom Holland has a, has a voice cameo in it. Um, but look, like it's it's not – I would say that the poster of this movie gives a little bit of a inaccurate impression of what this movie really is. But it's, it's an v- interesting slice of life. Um, that takes place in this real-time hour-and-a-half drive. All right. Okay, uh, Jeremy, you're number, number two. two. Yes, so it's a movie we've watched uh, relatively recently, a couple years, it came out a couple years ago, uh, Was or last year, not like last year, but the year before, um, for Fixie nominations, and it is the Coen Brothers' Ballad of uh, Buster Scruggs. Yep, not going to argue there. a great movie for quarantine. Because yeah, you I can mean, pick it up and start it and stop yeah, it. exactly. It's a bunch of different stories that are unrelated to each other. I think there's probably like, well, I don't know, four or five six, of them. Yeah. Six of them. Um, and I don't think it's been seen enough. I, it's not, you know, considered one of... I guess we don't really know, huh? I guess we did. I guess Netflix doesn't put out those numbers. But people don't tend to talk about it as much when they talk about the Coen brothers. And... Um, well, it's definitely worth a, a visit. I, I I sort of predicted this. Like, this is the interesting thing about Netflix, and there's and I was thinking about this as I was doing my research for this top five. Is like Roma nearly won Best Picture, uh, Irishman, Best Picture nominee, Ballad of Buster Scruggs Oscar nominee. All of these were Fixie nominees, and you know, obviously when they first came out front and center on Netflix, Netflix pushing for their Oscars. And then they are just lost in the shuffle now. Like I'm scrolling through Netflix movies and it took me 10 minutes before I even saw Roma on there. And I was like, Oh yeah, Roma. Oh yeah. yeah. Violet of Buster Scruggs. Oh yeah. The and Irishman. Be- like it's just easy to forget about them as they get lost in the Netflix portfolio. Yeah. And, and it, I think personally the top of the list and the reason it's not on there this is because i think roma is is the greatest thing netflix has has made that's probably true okay um my number i would definitely agree with that my number two is a film called molly's game which just came out on i know i know you're gonna i knew you were gonna have that look lee you've seen it yeah it's not very good i like it i think it's fun um, I think it's very approachable for a wide audience. That's probably um, true, but I would I would agree with you that it, it could have been better. But I just I I I love Jessica Chastain. I like I mean, looking at Jessica Chastain, I like her, especially in that movie. Uh, <laughs> she's gorgeous. Uh, the certain ser- dialogue is like you know is great. I don't know. He probably shouldn't have directed it. Maybe that's the problem. There's too yeah. much of the dialogue. It, it reads like a it plays like a screenplay. Like yeah, yeah. But you needed a director's touch. I, I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was fun. I think it's a time killer. And um, in terms of 
people enjoying themselves, I think this is a good one for that. All right. All right, Lee. What's your uh, number one? My number one is a movie called A Ghost Story. Oh, you saw that? Oh, I want to oh. see that. That's on my list of I, movies I started to see. watching that and loved it. Speaking it's so the, of slow-moving movies. Yeah, well, yeah, so it is slow. It's only an hour and a half, though. This is directed by David Lowry. Um, this is a director that I'm, I just am really interested in. Um, his most notable movies are, are uh, Ain't Them Body Saints and A Ghost Story, which, which both of which star Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. Um, a couple years ago, he directed The Old Man and the Gun, with Robert Redford in Sissy Spacek, which I actually thought was pretty disappointing. He also did the live-action Pete's Dragon, which I've not seen. But um, A Ghost Story is really interesting. And, and again, it's a slow-moving movie, but it's an hour and a half. But I think it's about something that we've all probably at some point thought about. Uh, and this idea of not just what happens to us when, I, when we die, but how we're able to look back or down or however you want to picture it at people that we've left behind. Um, and this movie takes a really interesting look at that. Um, and it's done in a very obvious and simplistic way. Um, it's moving. But haunting, haunting. It is haunting. Uh, and I just think it's, it's a really interesting movie. And I think take the hour and a half, watch it. It's not rounders. It's not Molly's game. Like it's not necessarily going to be a thrill ride for you, but it's, it's a really interesting movie. I think it explores some interesting ideas. So it's not a gambling movie. Not a gambling movie, no. Could you just wait? All right. (laughs) And my number one is Mud. I was hoping Uh, this would be on your list. I I haven't seen this in so long, but I loved it. Yeah, it's it was one of those surprises that year for me. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's in it. Uh, It's it's very. It reminds me of like almost a Mark Twain-ish story. Mm. Um, it's Jeff Nichols directed it. Yeah, what happened who, to Jeff Nichols? Yeah, he hasn't done anything in a while. He, you know, Jeff Nichols is great at capturing the, that sort of Southern or Midwestern, depending on the movie, uh, American sensibilities. Um, Take Shelter Because he did, like, so Take good. Shelter, yeah. Shotgun Stories, Mud. I mean, all those are quintessential Americana movies. Midnight Special is really good. Yeah, I just uh, watched I've never that. seen that. Yeah, it's, re- it's really good. Is that his last movie? Yeah, yeah he's got a movie called Alien Nation in, in the works. Is Midnight Special streaming on Netflix? I would love to see that. No, it's um, on HBO right now, though. Oh, it is? Okay, yeah. great. I'm going to write that down. Uh yeah, so he's a director I really like, and again, he's great at telling American stories, um, which I think is, a, you know, it's tough. It's tough to tell quintessential American stories these days, uh, and he does it well, and Mud is one of one of the better ones, So, and McConaughey's great. He's one of those filmmakers who, and, I, and I've only seen Take Shelter and Midnight Special, but that I admire the way he makes movies so much, but at least the way those two movies ended, they didn't really yeah it like kind of ended, with, midnight, ended with a little yeah. bit with a whimper for me but uh yeah okay so my number one is a, the documentary that started my interest in formula one and it's called senna man this is this so senna i'm assuming that's him in the poster has been staring at me on yes, netflix for years i feel it. like it's a, it is, is it a, good and it is the best documentary I think I've ever seen. Wow, um, that's a good It is an extraordinary film, and it's not just about 
racing. I didn't really have any interest in race car driving before I saw this, and now I'm super into into it. But uh, it's it's fascinating. I think there's some. It's from the guy who also made Amy. Some people have seen that. Um, I think they they do some really fascinating techniques in this film, um, documentary wise, that I haven't seen before, which I think are really really effective. And I'll I'll just leave it at that. Um, I would love to see this movie. It's really I, like that. That your recommendation is literally the push I needed because it's, okay, well, good because I mean you've been watching Elizabeth Town after the Cameron Crow, but that's podcast, yeah. so I'm not really understanding uh, why. But that's you, why because okay. I haven't. But that's why because I wanted to I wanted to be able to discuss how bad it is more intelligent with you. I'm like 20 minutes in and I can already do it. Like what the fuck are they doing with okay, Kirsten well, we'll Dunst's do character qu- we'll in this movie? We'll do a quick fix. We'll do a quick fix on that. Oh, save I can't it, wait. Okay. Well, now I want to watch it to do the quick fix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be left out of, of, of bashing on Elizabeth now. Um, I think we did great there with that top five. We yeah, no, no crosses. Will you guys send me those movies. so that I can post them on Instagram? Yeah, can you... I can I make a couple honorable mention recommendations yeah. too? Yeah, though? please do. Um, so for anybody who who took our fixie recommendations and and saw waves, I know two of us on the podcast have seen it. Um, if you enjoyed that movie, I would recommend seeing uh, Cresha and It Comes at Night. The director's first two movies, which are both oh, streaming yeah. it on comes Netflix, comes at night is, is good. Um, so I would recommend both of those. Um, if you want, you could do a Noah Baumbach binge on Netflix, which I would also recommend. A lot of his movies are available streaming on Netflix. Um, obviously, Marriage Story and Netflix film, but a lot of his other ones are. Um, and then the only other one I wanted to, to recommend was um, the Ex Machina. We talked a lot oh, about yeah. We talked yeah. a lot about Alex Garland on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, Ex Machina was on my list of, you know, it's it's probably going to make a top five or has made a top sure. five in the past, sort of. I have a couple. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, good time by the Safties. I had that. Yeah, that's a great pick. It's too. really yep. good. I mean, it's almost as it's nearly as good as Uncut Gems. Um, very similar films in a way. Um, and uh, Steve Jobs, uh, a film by I, a great film by yep. Danny Boyle. Um, maybe we did our top five biopics of all time. That may be the best biopic, just in terms of how he does it. Just like fascinating in, the way how he that. structures that story. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I would uh, add to that list uh, the Lobster. Sure. Yep. The most you could kill the sacred deer. Killing of the sacred deer. I don't. Oh, there's I another film like much. on here that I'm uh, interested in that got left off. Minority Report. Well, I mean, we could go through the yeah. big ones. Social Network, Minority Report, Shawshank, Goodfellas, Groundhog Day, Inception, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Moon, Pan's Labyrinth, The Matrix, There Will Be Blood, Ferris Bueller, Roma, Indiana Jones, Monty Python, Ex Machina, E2 Mama Tambien. <laughs> so Her. you guys, I haven't this seen this. This is just the podcast. This is Jeremy just like listening. <laughs> I haven't These seen These are all this, those big ones. You guys have recommended... Uh, Euro Dreams of Sushi to me before. Yeah, that's a is that on one, there? Which is streaming on Netflix. Oh yeah, I wrote definitely. that down, but I haven't seen it. But so it's it's now on my list. Make sure you have like fresh fish nearby because you're gonna crave sushi so bad you're gonna just take a bite out of a a, a live fish. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd uh, the goldfish go? Uh, Euro Dreams of Sushi. Don't worry about it. Okay, well that's gonna do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast, a long edition. Uh, matches our <laughs> matches the film we just watched. Uh, I've been Chapin Hemingway. Lee's been Lee. Jeremy's been with us too. 
thank you so oh, much thanks. for listening. Uh, send your feedback. Get your film fix pod uh, feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. We'd love to know what you guys think of uh, Stalker. Stalker, the film we just watched. Um, boys, do we have, do we know what we're doing next week? We'll probably still have to decide that, but uh, yeah. Um, I think well, something simple because we're going to be watching a lot of South by Southwest films. I think. Oh right, right. Get, okay. Oh, Chapin's real into that idea. Uh, I am into that. Okay, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.